I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. All right, let's get this popping. Good morning slash afternoon to you and Jules. Yes, coming straight from the salon. That's right. That's right. You're not supposed to tell people that I went to the salon on a weekday. It's true. But I also (laughs) want to point out that going to the salon on a Monday is an example of VIP status. It is. And and tell the people why that is. Salons are traditionally open um, Monday, no, Tuesday through Saturday. That's right. That is absolutely 100% true. And that is the, that is definitely true of my stylist. Mm -hmm. However, we've been down for the last 20 years. And um, she likes to say that she could cut my hair with her eyes closed and with one hand. I was like, but you couldn't, she's like, I I could do it. I could, I could, I could be led into a room blindfolded. And if I put my hand on in your hair, I could tell you whose head it is. I would be like, this is Kimberly Manning's hair. Wow. Yeah. And um, let's talk about Mahalia. Mahalia, she is big and beautiful today. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks like, let me try to describe what I see here. So it looks like we may have had um, at some point a twist out at some point, and then it just slowly, slowly morphed into this big, fluffy, beautiful fro with like little curly coils on the Mm -hmm. end. Yeah. I actually love Mahalia when she's like this and you probably can't see, but there is, I found a singular strand of gray hair (gasps) right at the front. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just want you to know that by the time I was 30, I had far more than a singular strand. (laughs) So, um, and I can't, you know, when I met your mom, your mom's not a a gray lady. So you, you may not have that in your future. Yeah. I mean, I was proud of this one strand that was sticking out. It shows that I've been through some stuff, so it's going to stay there. Girl, you just wait until somebody does your eyebrows and they say, oh, you have a great eyebrow. I'm like, oh, must you point this out? <laughs> oh, that's Indeed. so true. So true. Did you learn anything this week? You know, I did. And um, I wanted to start with a question to you. Okay. What is the lowest platelet count that you've seen? Zero. Zero. Okay. Well, of course you had to up me. I was going to say two. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's sorry. what happened. But of course, you know, I forgot who I'm talking to. So <laughs> I I, say, I'll, I'll revise that three, three. Thank you. Okay. So two, <laughs> I saw a patient of mine who had a platelet count of two in primary care. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So this was someone who was eventually diagnosed with ITP. Mm-hmm. Um, which is immune, was it immune thrombocytopenic purpura? Yeah, you know. But this patient ended up getting admitted um, due to risk for spontaneous bleeding, of course. Mm-hmm. But I was looking through the the notes and seeing some of like the therapies that had been tried. So this person had been on like 
steroids, rituximab, had had multiple uh, transfusions and nothing was really working. Mm-hmm. This veteran was getting placed on a TPO agonist. And I hadn't seen this line of therapies before or never mm-hmm. heard of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually a pill. And I have to look at it because I'm going to butcher the name El Trombo Pag. Wow. Ring any bells? Uh, um, not a bell has been rung. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this was the thing that did the trick and it's nice because they can continue it um, orally as, as an outpatient. So not needing like a bunch of IV infusions. And I'm sorry, just so I can just go on and just admit the gap in my knowledge. When you said TPO, were you talking about thrombopoietin or? Yes. Okay. Okay. I was just stimulating factor. Okay. I was just making sure I was like, I think TP (laughs) thrombopo. What's the O? Oh, don't ask me that. Rombo, po, o. Maybe if maybe if somebody British wrote it and it's eaten with a o. o exactly. I just say there's there's o's in the name thrombopoietin, so I'm sure oh, that that's where. Yeah, I'm gonna assume yeah. that's where it came from. Okay. Let's yeah. with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, but that was something I learned uh, this week was oral therapies for for ITP as second line agents. Was not aware of that, but now I know. Cool. There you go. Let's see what I have been uh, reading about and thinking about is uh, very similar to what many people are. And that's um, about the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one, one of the, the unique things about the Delta variant that we know is that it is uh, causing breakthrough infections in those individuals who have been vaccinated. We know vaccines are not a hundred percent, right. But, mm-hmm. but still we all were kind of, you know, looking like um, Diana Ross in The Wiz on Can't You See a Brand New Day. Y'all look that up if you don't know that, that <laughs> reference. But that's how we all were when we got vaccinated because we really thought that, you know, nothing would happen. And yep. what, part of the reason why, um, and what I learned this week, is that Delta variant is able to uh, cause infections in some of the individuals who have been vaccinated is because the amount of virus that is allowed to replicate and and the inoculum amounts that people are getting um, when they get the the Delta variant compared to sort of the original uh, COVID. So this is how I explained it to one of my patients um, um, to help myself understand it too. So um, not that I drink um, in in clinic, but if I was for some reason to (laughs) lose my head and decide to have a drink in clinic, I told my patient, like, what if somebody walked in here and set a shot glass on the table and poured both of us a shot of tequila? And we both took the shot of tequila. Probably, I, even though it wouldn't be the greatest thing, I could go through the rest of my clinic. I could function. <laughs> I could make decisions. I could, I could do okay. I walk around mm-hmm. and nobody would, I could even hide it from people. They wouldn't know anything was wrong. I said, that's how it was when you got the, you know, the, the original COVID. Mm -hmm. I said, but if somebody came in here and they brought us a 12 ounce tumbler and filled it with tequila and we both chug a lugged it, Mm. it would be very hard to not really experience the symptoms um, of, of having drank that 12 ounces of tequila. So you get like a much bigger dose of, of the Delta variant. And so even those individuals who've been vaccinated, the amount of virus that's in them it does cause them to have a few symptoms. Now, fortunately, most of those people aren't being hospitalized or seriously ill, but you know, like I'm, I'm sure you have too. I've, I know quite a few people, not quite a few, but a fair number of people who have experienced a um, breakthrough infection for being vaccinated. Yep. And they had symptoms, mm-hmm. um, symptoms that were disruptive of their life, like 
I felt achy. I didn't feel good. I had a low grade fever. I had to shut it down for a few days. And even that is very, very disruptive. But understanding that that that's why it's happening, I think, has helped me even um, convey something that has caused some of my patients to decide to be vaccinated. And I think that's been really helpful. That's such an excellent analogy. Although the thought of a 12 ounce tumbler filled with tequila actually makes me like physically ill right now. Just thinking about it. Right. Just like a 12 ounce tumbler of Delta variant would make you physically ill. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's so good to really kind of frame the the concept in, in terms of like how the virus is different versus like the inefficacy of the vaccine, which I think has been kind of the focus for many folks. Right. 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 It's just, you know, if it's, if it, if it's more to fight back um, Mm -hmm. against our antibodies, um, we still have some protection, right. Which is why the people that we are primarily seeing, um, you know, starting to refill our ICUs are people who are unvaccinated, but Mm -hmm. Again, still keeping in mind that part of that is the reason why people are getting sicker and we're seeing younger people getting getting taken down by by Delta variants. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we about that. Get your vaccine life. Get your vaccine, please. Well, girl. What is the what that you have for us? The what I have for you is anger. Who anger? Mm-hmm. 38 hot. What you know about somebody being 38 hot? You know, I ain't heard 38 hot until I started <laughs> hearing that from you. <laughs> but, 38 hot is not what you want. <laughs> yeah. It it's sounds either, scary. Either you're a doctor and you're thinking 38 degrees Celsius or you're somebody who knows what a 38 uh, can do if it's pulled out real mm-hmm. fast on somebody and what it looks like after it's smoking. 38 hot is when people are really hot. And I've been thinking a lot about, about anger, especially in this time when, you know, a lot of us are just feeling so discouraged by having to sort of return back to this sort of lockdown-ish life, masks back over faces, mandates, people arguing about you know, what that's going to mean, mm-hmm. you know, jobs being disrupted, um, a lot, a lot of reasons for people to have short fuses, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I am going to, um, take you not that, that, that far back. I was on faculty already. And, um, this was a day when, um, I was rounding with my team and, you know, on inpatient services, oftentimes um, a patient gets admitted. And if the patient was on another team, that patient, you might admit them, but then the, the team that had them before takes care of them yep. to, for continuity. Yeah. So on this day, my team was admitting a patient who had previously been with another team. We go in to see the patient and the patient was someone who would come in for volume overload um, from an exacerbation of acute decompensated heart failure. We, we gave the patient a diuretic, you know, the patient was already, you know, urinating a lot and it looked like it was not going to be a very long hospitalization. Um, she was looking really good. And so quick visit, um, make sure nothing's wrong. We step out of the room and preparing to go to the next room. The patient comes out and says to me, oh, you all, the nur- I told the nurse that I needed my pain medicine and y'all didn't write for my pain medicine. Mm-hmm. And she talks directly to me because I am the only person with racial concordance um, with her on a team. 
I look at her and I say, uh, I'm sorry, what, what pain medicine were you taking? She says, oh, I take Percocet, two tablets every four to six hours. It just wasn't written for. Can you go ahead and add it? And I look at her and I say, well, you know, I did look through your chart. I probably need to go back further and look, but I didn't really see um, a place or an indication for us to put you on that medicine. And she was like, oh, no, no, that you can ask the team that had me before I was on it. And I, that's something that I take every day for pain. And I was like, well, this is the, this is an unusual thing for somebody to just have you on indefinitely for pain. What do you, this is all in the hallway, mind you. Oh Lord. Okay. She's like, I'm not about to reinvent the wheel with you. This is a medicine that I've been on. <clears throat> You're not going to even be my doctor. Ooh. So, you know, I said, well, here's what I can do for you. What I can do is as soon as we finish rounding, I'm going to review your chart. And she just cut me off. And she was like, it could take you a long time to get through rounding. And I don't want to wait. And, you know, this is something that I take every day and I am in pain and I already can't breathe. And this is some bullshit. And she started raising her voice. Mm. And I was like, listen, I'm not trying to upset you, sis. Don't call me sis. Don't try to come at me like that. I was like, all right, that's cool. Listen, this is a medicine that can be habit for me. So I want to do right by you. And she, she like cuts her hand across her face, like to tell me to stop talking. And then she steps close to me and points her finger and almost touches my nose and says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I don't want nothing from you. And then she just turned around and walked away. And she said it loud enough for my team who was standing right there to hear, but also all the nurses at the nursing station, anybody in earshot, even, you know, the dude that's my homeboy, that's the um, with environmental services that I always give a fist bump to. He was like, um, yeah it was it was cringeworthy oh it was bad and so like we walking through the hallway and you know my team they're trying to make me feel better they're like oh dr mandy you're my favorite attendee Um, (laughs) i love with you (laughs) i nominated you for the go to apple teaching award because like you know it was it was really i mean it was it was it hurt my pride you know yeah Um, absolutely And, uh, so we finished rounding and, um, you know, now it's about maybe an hour and a half later and I'm, and I'm sitting here deciding what do I do, right? Do I just say, you know what? I never have to see this patient anymore. Mm -hmm. I have already staffed the patient that I can, you know, call my, my fellow colleague and be like, child, your patient went off on me or whatever, you know, but, Mm -hmm. or I can go back to this patient um, who looks like me and who clearly, you know, is not pleased. Yeah. Um, So I decide I'm going to go back. Um, And, and I, and I'm gonna tell you why I went back. I went back because, you know, one of the Grady elders once taught me that, you know, extremes of emotion um, are reserved for things people really, really, really care about which is usually not somebody that they just met. Mm. So if somebody is really, really mad at you in a hospital, or if somebody is really, really, really happy with you, like you're my favorite, you're the best doctor in the world. That's probably not about you. That's probably more about them and where they are. Yeah. Um, and so um, hearing that helped me to not be so afraid of people who were mad at me because it probably isn't really, you don't know me well enough for it to be me. And I hadn't really done enough yet. Mm-hmm. 
So I come walking up onto the ward. And as I walk up on the hallway, this lady is standing in the doorway in the door jam with her arms folded. Oh God. And um, it is looking like three o'clock on the last day of school. Like somebody about to catch some hands. She was locked and loaded, locked, loaded and ready to dress me all the way down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I, I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm really usually good in a word war, but she looked like she was nice. <laughs> <laughs> she looked ready. <laughs> and so as I'm walking up the nurses who I'm all cool with, they look like they cannot believe that I am coming back to face this patient. Mm. And they're like, surely she's not, but I slow down when I get to the patient and I say, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. She just looks me up and down. She don't say a word. I say, uh, you know, I came back to you because that interaction we had, you know, I, it it wasn't a good interaction. And I wanted to come back to, to speak to you without all of those people there. And she looked at me and she said, I already told you, I don't want nothing from you. I don't want a damn thing from you. And I was like, Okay. And I'm just in my head listening to, you know, the Grady Elder, like, this ain't about you. This is not about you. This is about something else. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I hear you. I hear you. Um, But um, I I still um, feel like, you know, when you're in the hospital and you don't feel good, I don't want to be a part of you not, of you feeling even worse. And then she kind of looked at me again and she's, did the thing with her finger where she almost touches my nose, but doesn't. She said, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like the way you walk around here. Like, you know, everything. I don't like the way you were talking to me in a way that was like patronizing. Mm. I don't like you. And you know what? I don't want shit from you. Now, at this point, most people would be like, you know what? I, I tried. That. Yep. I tried. I fought the good fight, mm-hmm. you know. But and there was no audience there. You know, there was no students to see me, you know, modeling save the day. Yeah. This is just me and maybe a couple nurses who went on to doing whatever they're doing. And um, me trying to think to myself, who else will, will come back? to this patient, nobody, um, who, if not me, who? So I say, you know, I do not need you to like me. I don't, I really don't. I said, and and I, what I would tell you is that the main reason I came back was to apologize to you for talking to you in the hallway. I should have asked you to step back in the room with me. And then we could have had this conversation in the room, but instead, you know, I was in a hurry and in my head, I was just thinking that, you know, I needed to finish up and I shouldn't have talked to you in the hallway. I shouldn't have talked to you about this in front of all of those people, especially when I started to see how you felt about it. And she just kind of kept standing there and she was like, you were the only black person out here. And basically you came out here in the hallway and told me I was an addict. And I was like, I did not call you an addict. She's like, yes, you did. Cause basically you came and you told me the medicine is habit forming. Like, I don't know what I'm taking. And I said, well, you know, and I just stopped for a minute and I thought like, it it, it doesn't matter what I meant. If, if that was what she perceived me going back and forth with her, 
that's not, that's not going to help anything. Yeah. But what I noticed in that moment was the fact that she said even that piece, it meant we were getting somewhere because now she was talking to me. And I was like, well, you know, all I know is when it comes to me and my business and my health, I wouldn't want anybody talking about something sensitive to me in front of five other people in the hallway, especially if they were somebody that I kind of thought maybe I could relate to because I noticed you were talking just to me. And um, I said, all I want to do is step in the room and try to talk to you. I, I cannot write for this, you know, medicine for you, but if you will let me talk to you in the room, you know, maybe we can just talk a little bit more. And she just kind of turns around and walks away from me into the room, which to me signaled that she was okay with me coming in behind her. Okay. And I come in and she sits on the end of the bed and I sit beside her on the bed and she just immediately starts boo-hoo-hoo crying. Oh my God. She is just crying and crying and she's like, I'm so tired. So she'd had um, hypertension for years and had developed, you know, a reduced ejection fraction and heart failure. And it was pretty significant. And she couldn't do a lot of stuff anymore. And this lady wasn't even 60 yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, combined with chronic back pain and, you know, um, a high body mass index, she, she was just really limited in what she could do and just didn't have really any control of anything anymore. The way she had come back to the hospital was because she had, you know, gone to a family gathering and ate some ribs and the stuff that she normally eats at a cookout and it was salty. Yeah. And it sent her back into the hospital. And she's just like, I just can't do anything. I can't play with my grandkids. I can't lay flat. I can't, I can't do a whole bunch of stuff and I'm just tired. And then here you come along, you know, basically telling me of something else that I can't do. Mm. You know, I, I basically just rubbed her back. And I told her that, you know, I was really sorry that she was going through what she was going through. And she kind of said something that stuck with me. You know, she said, you know, sometimes what you hear got more to do with where you at than what the person says to you, which was kind of a version of sort of what that Grady Elder was telling me. Yeah. She went to the other team and I actually continued to come and see her while she was in the hospital. I'll come by and check in on her. And um, I had even spoken to her, um, my colleague, and it's like, you know, I, I'm not sure why this patient, if, if she does need chronic pain management, it's probably not so great for it to be a, a, something short acting. And she eventually wasn't even on a narcotic anymore. Wow. You know, by the end, we were like, hey, sis, hey, sis, you know, it was all, <laughs> you know, it was all good. Um, but in every aspect of my life, I'm, I'm really learning that people don't really like to stay angry. It doesn't yeah. feel good. It's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The person who dies when you're angry is you. Yep. And um, so if you wait, if you just, you know, fight against, you know, the hits to your pride long enough, and as long as somebody's not like completely abusing you, but if you can stand still in it long enough, right? Mm-hmm. Usually it's just not a place people want to stay. Even the maddest, maddest people everywhere I've been in the hospital, outside of the hospital, the maddest, most angry people, if, you know, unless they're, you know, dealing with some kind of impulse control issue or mental health issue, or they're impaired in some Mm -hmm. other way, but if it's not that, they usually going to bring it down. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm grateful, um, one, to sort of the space learning that I got from that Grady Elder teaching me about why people do what they do. Yeah. That person was wise, you know, but I'm, I'm still just trying to work through my own prideful ways to not let embarrassment stop me from still working toward a therapeutic alliance, even, even when it's not sexy. You know, mm-hmm. that's so real. Mm. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with some of the residents I was teaching last mm. week about, you know, who's deserving of empathy. Mm. And I, you know, I'm envisioning this, this person who is a person of color, who's overweight, who is being readmitted because they ate too much salt and how you're immediately kind of like thrown into this box. You don't really stop to see any of the story behind like, you know, the narrative that we've already kind of framed for this person. Mm -hmm. And of course, when they have a normal reaction to everything that they've been through, you have the choice. Mm -hmm. You have the power to just be like, yeah, well, this is a difficult person or like not compliant. All these things that we use to protect ourselves from that discomfort. And um, how how much we lose by not being able to, to learn more than what's on the surface. Yeah. And I was on a biased landmine, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was close to lunch. I was trying to get my learners to conference. This was a patient that really was a speed breaker because it, you know, we had asked the other team if they just would take the patient today. Yeah. We were like, no, we'll take the patient, you know, tomorrow. And, and that in itself is like kind of fraught with peril too, right? This whole, like, like almost like they're this inanimate object, right? right? The bounce back. <laughs> right. Um, and when I think about being on a biased landmine, that's when my own, my biases are, are likely to show through behaviors. And we know that there's like data to support that. Like mm-hmm. people are tired, rushed, you know, um, you know, up against the gun. If there's some sort of ambiguity to what you're doing, um, and that, and that's exactly where I was. I had sort of made my mind up that I wouldn't even work hard to get to know this patient because this wasn't going to be my patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was a watered down version, even of what I typically do when I go see patients, it was all like, Hey, we gave you some Lasix. You're already net negative looking good. Hopefully, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just, I was so in my own head. Yeah. So she ended up being somebody that I was very, very fond of. And yeah. in the hospital, you know, I get, I, I came to see her when the day dis- she got discharged, gave her a big hug. Wow. So, yeah, I, um, um, I, I'm hoping that somebody who hears this can think really more about what, cause I, you know, I can't control what anybody else does. I can control me though. Yeah. I'm finding that a really good way to regain some order in, in, um, in situations where anger is involved, particularly in the hospital setting is to be still stop digging, stop talking. What, what is my part in this? Mm. What did I do wrong? Where could I, where did I fall short? I fell short because I put you on blast in the hallway. Yeah. I fell short because I missed the cue of you stepping into this hallway and speaking directly to me when all before then the resident and the intern had been talking, but you spoke to me because there was something that made you feel safe speaking to me. And, and if I had just slowed down a little bit, maybe I could have caught some of that. 
And I made, and it made, you know, that interaction we had, she looked like your air quotes, drug seeking patient. Yeah. And she absolutely was not that. She wasn't. She had just had Motrin before. And guess what? Percocet worked better. (laughs) (laughs) I always wonder who I would be if I was in the hospital and, you know, having gone through, you know, years of of a chronic disease that really like changed my whole life course. Or having all your activities of daily living disrupted. And, you know, as you've told us so much about your grandmother and about, gosh, what it means to grandparents to fully engage in their grandchildren's lives. The thing that she kept talking about was how she can't even play with her grandkids anymore. Mm. I can't even do anything with my grandkids anymore. I was like, man, you know what? That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So... We signed up to meet people in vulnerable states. And I think you teaching learners about who deserves empathy. I would hope that somebody would think I deserve empathy. Absolutely. I'm assuming the answer is everyone. Everybody, yes. That was the that was the lesson at the end of the day. But we have to, like you said, you have to be still long enough to recognize where we have put structures in place to allow ourselves a pass to give some folks empathy and others not. Well, sis, um, hopefully you go into this day with no, no anger. <laughs> that, that is my intention. <laughs> you might get angry if somebody try to reach out and touch Mahalia though. Cause she is looking like, I, Oh yeah. I, she's oh, looking no. really like, please try to touch me. I wish, I wish somebody would. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. We'll save that. We'll save that for the after podcast <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Word. All right, sis. I love you. I love you too. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and The Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla!